Amen. Amen. Well, you guys can find your seats. And uh, man, it's been a good day worshiping the Lord already. And we're going to open our Bibles together. So why don't you take your Bibles with me and go to uh, the book of Colossians. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around. You can just get their attention. They would love to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, that one is a gift to you. Please take it with us. Take, take it with you. And uh, we love to study God's Word. Or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Take some notes there if you want. We are going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 today. And we are continuing Continuing our series, Pursuing the Mission. I just got to tell you, it's, it's actually been kind of refreshing, uh, and, 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 and I'm just really thankful for the opportunity to kind of refocus and get recommitted to what we're doing as a church, getting back to the basics and getting after the mission that God has called us to. And so I want to I wanna give you, this is a little study uh, break right here, okay? And, and, and we are uh, going to practice a little bit, because I've told you it's very possible that I might uh, pull a pop quiz on you in the near future to see who can actually say our mission statement, all right? So why don't we put this up here? Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. We want to get this down, so I want you to say this with me, and, and, and we're trying to get it memorized, so we're going to have this down. This is the heartbeat of our church, all right? So let's say this together. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. You got that down? I hope you do. Listen, this is not just something that we're putting up on a wall because you're supposed to have a mission statement. This drives everything we're doing. Now, we uh, have six pursuits. Let me go ahead and throw these up here. This is how we pursue the mission. You want to know what we're all about, what really uh, makes us tick? Look no further than our mission statement and our six pursuits. These are uh, six uh, characteristics that we want to be true of us and, and, and things that we're pursuing together. We are committing to as a church, and we've been preaching our way through uh, each of these one at a time. A few weeks ago, we saw a fervent prayer because we know that if uh, anything good is going to happen, it's because uh, God is the one doing it, and so we better be on our knees and, and asking him to work in and through us. Uh, we want to be a praying church. We want to be a church that's praying fervently that God would uh, work. And uh, the second is that uh, we're going to commit to bold preaching. We're pursuing that every, every week and just count on it. We're opening our Bibles. We're going to focus on Jesus and depend on the Holy Spirit. We get to hear from him, which is a, a pretty sweet thing. And then last week we saw uh, passionate worship. We're just going to lift high the name of Jesus, give him praise. But we want this to be true on the inside, right? Uh, that we want uh, to do this with hearts that are full of joy and, and, and submissive hearts where we, we want to uh, worship Christ, not just with our songs, not just with our mouths, but also with our lives. Uh, this week we are looking at purposeful disciple-making. Purposeful disciple-making. Now, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. I mean, honestly, you could just, like, if we do that, we've accomplished the mission. We want to give God the glory. But God is glorified when we make disciples of all nations. That's the job that Jesus gave us to do in the Great Commission, right? He told us, and obviously you think back to Matthew 28, and there were other Great Commission statements that Jesus made, but when he made this in Matthew 28, I just want you to notice that the Great Commission is to make disciples, not to be disciples, but to make 
disciples, to make followers of Jesus. And so we're going to just boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus to lost sinners because we want to see them trust him as Savior and Lord. But then we've got to teach them how to follow him in in, in surrender. And so in, in one sense, we could say it this way. Everything we do as a church, we want to do on purpose. And, and what are we doing? We're trying to make disciples. That's what we do. Like, like basically, in any, anything that we're putting our efforts into, we're trying to make disciples. We believe that God is going to be glorified for that. So why do we have kids' ministry? Because we're trying to make disciples. Why do we have student ministry? Because we're trying to make disciples. Why, why do we put so much emphasis on getting into small groups during the week and building these relationships? Because we're trying to make disciples. Why do, we, why, why do we ask people to show up here and start setting up at 7.15 in the morning and putting the sound system up and putting coffee in the lobby? Because we're trying to help make disciples. And, 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 and why do we ask people to sit and watch babies in the back in the nursery? Because we're trying to make disciples. And why do we gather together and, and, and pray together during the week? Because we're Trying to make disciples. Why do we partner with other uh, churches in the Great Commission Collective to plant more churches? Because we're, we're trying to make disciples. That's it. And I believe that, that, that a, a church that loves Christ and is passionate about the glory of Christ is a church that's on mission to make disciples of Christ. Now, one of the, the, the things that we've been learning is there's kind of... Uh, two sides to this coin, if you will, when we talk about making disciples. And, and, and a lot of times we use words like evangelism and discipleship, right? Evangelism and discipleship. It, it, well, first we gotta, we gotta share the good news. We gotta tell people about Jesus, hoping that they're gonna hear this and they're gonna believe and they'll become a disciple. And so next week we're actually gonna look at courageous evangelism. But then, then we've gotta teach these people, these new believers, how to be a disciple and how to uh, follow him and, and live for him with their entire lives. So that's what we're focusing on this morning. And I want to make no apology uh, about this, that, that we want to grow as a church. Like I, I want our church to grow, but, but not just numerically, just like we're going to get bigger. We want to make sure that we're growing spiritually, that we're growing in ways that only the spirit can be at work. Where we're seeing disciples who are maturing and multiplying. And so we're going to see that in Colossians chapter 2. Let me uh, give you the big idea. Here's what I uh, want us to take away this morning. If you're taking notes, note this. Purposeful disciple making is helping believers who have received Christ walk in Christ. Okay? It's that simple. We're trying to help believers who have received Christ walk in Christ. And to do that, we are going to look at Colossians chapter 2, and we are only, believe it or not, only going to preach on two verses this morning. Two verses, that's it. And all God's people said? Yeah, right. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, let's look at this together. Here's what Paul says. Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father, I pray that you would meet with us now. And I've been praying this, that your spirit would be present. We've actually asked you that, that you would pour it out on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be more like Christ, that we would reflect the obedience of Christ 
and that, that we would recognize that you're the king and we're going to bow our knees before you and we want to live our lives in submission to you. And, and what a sweet thing that you promised us that, that uh, your divine power has already granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have already given us everything that we need to live in, in a way that is pleasing to you. And so I pray, as I've been praying, that you would uh, fill us with your spirit that we would hear your word that you've given. What a sweet thing that you've given us, uh, the Bible, that we can open this up and hear from you, but knowing that, that your spirit is going to be present, working in us, and so that we do follow you, so that we become disciples, but we also recognize that disciples make disciples who make disciples, and so we want to be faithful to that, and we want to be purposeful in this because we believe that, that you will get the glory in that. You said that you are glorified by this, that we bear much fruit. And so we're asking that you would do that work in and through us. Not for us, but for your name. Because it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. So we're helping believers who have received Christ walk in Christ. And I think uh, I see three expectations for growing disciples in these two verses, okay? So let me just give you one. Here's the first expectation. The expectation is that we live differently in Christ. We're going to live differently in Christ, okay? So let's break this down. Uh, Let's look at verse 6, and and I just kind of want to see what the argument is that Paul is making here. Verse 6, he starts by saying this, Therefore, Now, whenever you hear the word or see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask yourself the question, what's it there for? So so, so the word is actually pointing us back to what's just been said and and making a point and and drawing implication from this. And so so, so it's basically like he's saying, listen, you have to understand what I just said in order to understand what I'm about to say. So we got to get some context here. What's Paul talking about? Well, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, Paul has been talking about the fact that he's working hard. In fact, not only is he working hard, but he says that he is suffering for the believers here in the city of Colossae, which is kind of crazy because Paul has never even been here and has likely never met most of the believers that are in this church. I mean, normally when we're reading the letters of Paul, a lot of times, like, he spent a lot of time with those people, like the, the, the Corinthians or the Philippians or the Ephesians, etc. But, but, but the city of Colossae is actually not mentioned uh, in his travels in the book of Acts. And Paul did not plant this church. Somebody else did. The guy who planted this church is a guy by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras, in fact, I've got this for you on the screen. Chapter 1, he's mentioned at the beginning of the letter, and then he's mentioned again at the end of the letter. Paul says this, you learned it, or you learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, so the Colossian church got started under the ministry of Epaphras, and, and Epaphras himself likely became a disciple under the ministry of Paul. And it's probable that he became a, ministry, uh, uh, became a disciple uh, while Paul was in the city of Ephesus. 
Okay, so let me put the map up here. And, and, and uh, can, we, can we get the map up here? That, that, okay, I didn't even bring my laser pointer. I don't even know what the point is. Like, that's half the reason I put these maps up here. But here's the deal. You're just going to have to pretend like you can see this. All right, you see the city of Ephesus up here at the top. You'll notice that the city of Colossae, it, it's over 100 miles away from Ephesus. But it was while Paul was on his third missionary journey that he came to Ephesus. And he spent over two years there preaching and teaching. We read about that in Acts chapter 19. In fact, it says that in Acts chapter 19, it says that this, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul spent a significant amount of time in the city of Ephesus so that all of Asia heard. So it's very probable that Epaphras, during this time while Paul is there, came to Christ under his ministry, and that's how they became uh, personal friends at that time. And then Epaphras became the church planter in the city of Colossae. Now the reason that Paul is, is writing this letter to uh, the church in, in uh, uh, Colossae is that, uh, that apparently, um, years later now, uh, Epaphras ha has been visiting with Paul and he's kind of just giving him an update on how the church is doing. And, and, but he's also kind of giving him a warning, like there's, there's some false teaching that the church is facing. And so even though Paul's never been here and, and, and he, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't have these personal relationships, he still loves these people. He's really concerned when he hears that there's some false teaching that's coming in. And so, so, so he's about to go at that false teaching head on. But at chapter 1, chapter 2, he's just pouring out his heart for them and trying to help them understand the, the danger and the importance for them. He says in chapter 1, verse 23, of continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast. I want you to continue in the faith. And that's why he's been working so hard. That's why he, he's been uh, suffering for them is because his goal, he says, the goal is that they would be mature. The goal is maturity. In fact, uh, I've got this for you on the screen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Paul says, uh, him we proclaim, that's Jesus, we proclaim Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So here's the bottom line. Bottom line, the instruction that we're reading in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, is coming from a guy that loves these people. And, and, and he loves this church, and he wants these disciples to grow in maturity. He says, that's why I've been struggling. That's why I've been suffering for you. Therefore, he says, verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and remember, remember uh, who they receive it from? Epaphras. They received it from Epaphras, and, and, and the word received here, sometimes we, you know, that, that word can trip us up because we might think of it in terms of the way we say, you know, you need to receive Jesus into your life or receive Christ into your heart. That's not exactly the idea, although he wants that, but, but the, the, the word itself has the idea of receiving teaching or tradition that's been passed down to you. And so they, they had been handed and accepted from Epaphras this, this, this message of the gospel that Jesus is the Lord and the authoritative teachings of Jesus. They had welcomed it. They'd, they'd committed themselves to it, Paul says. And so, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's a call to action. And the command to walk really refers to how you live your life. 
Because it's one thing to say that you believe that Jesus is Lord, but we want to see you live it. We, we want your walk to match your talk. Well, you've heard this before. We've said it around here that your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. We're looking at what you do, not just what you say. And so the expectation, what he's trying to help us understand here, is that Jesus changes the way his disciples live. We live differently in Christ. That, 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 that we're, there's, there's a completely new way to live now if you claim Jesus as Lord. You were dead as a slave to sin. That's not who you are anymore. And now there's this expectation that believers who have received Christ will walk in Christ. Which is what Jesus taught us. It's what he said in the Great Commission. You think back to Matthew chapter 28, you know this. this is, he said, go make disciples, right? That's, that's where we're getting that Great Commission from. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then he said this, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice, he, he didn't say teaching them all that I have commanded you, but teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not, not just pass along a, a bunch of facts about Jesus and, and, and what he said, because God's not interested in a bunch of biblical fatheads and know-it-alls. He, he, he's, he's saying, teach these believers who have put their faith in Christ and have identified with him publicly in baptism, teach those believers to observe, to obey, to conform your life to what Jesus has said. And so making disciples is, is not just... Um, teaching all the Bible stories and, 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 and making sure people know all the answers and they've got some Bible trivia so they can pass a test. It's, it's literally coming under the authority of Christ and, and his word in this book and living differently because we want to live in obedience to what God says. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. So God is not impressed that you know the name of Moses' mom or you've you know, memorize the genealogy of Noah, or you can say all 66 books of the Bible in order, or you can explain the doctrine of the hypostatic union of Christ or anything, but you don't love your neighbor as yourself or forgive as God in Christ forgave you or have the same attitude of Christ and put others before yourself and consider them more significant than yourself and live in obedience to him and his word and become more like Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm like, I realize that this is like so basic, um, like you all know this. There's kind of an expectation that we're going to live differently. So as I'm, I'm kind of putting this uh, together during the week and wrestling through this. I, I had to take a moment to just kind of personalize it. And, and there's a question that I had to ask. I think maybe it's helpful for you too, and I, I, I think this is what the Lord would press upon us, is even though we know it's basic, is this happening? Is Jesus changing my life? Not just did, did, did he change my life, but is he changing my life? Am I growing? The, do the, the people that are around me spending the most time with me, um, they see me on a day-to-day -day basis. Do the, is it evident to them that I'm living differently than I was a year ago? Or even a month ago. 
And I realize that you know, a lot of the, the, the changes happen incrementally, and sometimes it's hard for us when we're up close to actually see it, but, but is there a growing desire for Christ? Is there a growing hatred for my sin? And, and I guess I, I will, but, but when I sin, is there, is there a turning from that? Is there a turning to Christ? Am I growing? Am I changing? Am I living differently? He says, as you've received Christ, so walk in him. But notice it, it's walk in him. In him. As you received, so walk. So the same way that you received, which was by faith, is the same way that we walk. It's not in yourself. It's not in your own power. It's in him. It's abiding in him. It's this relationship that we have with Christ by grace through faith and, and, and believing him and trusting him. And because we believe him and trust him, we, we, we submit to him and, and, and we're living through the power of his spirit that is living in us. It's in Christ. So if you've received Christ, what he's saying is keep Keep walking. Don't stop. Keep walking in him. We're living differently in Christ. Here's the second expectation for growing disciples. Note this. Uh, we want to grow in the teachings of Christ. We want to grow in the teachings of Christ. We see that in verse 7. So we're going to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Now he's mixing agricultural and uh, construction metaphors here. This, this word rooted is like the word that Jesus used when he told the parable of the four soils. Remember that? The parable of the sower? Kind of farmer went out and started sowing his seed and as he went some of the seed uh, fell on the path and the birds came and they ate it up and some of the seed fell on the rocky ground and it grew up really fast but then it got scorched and withered by the sun and and then some of the seed fell among the, the thorns, and while it grew up with the thorns, the thorns choked it out and it died. And then some of it was sown in good soil where it, it really grew up and, and it produced fruit and, and multiplied there. But the, the, the seed specifically that Jesus said fell on the rocky ground, he said the problem with that that, that was there on the rocky ground is it had no root. So there's the word. And because it had no root, Jesus said, when, when tribulation or persecution arose on account of the word, immediately uh, they all fell away. And, and so Paul may be thinking about that here, and, and he's thinking about the threats that are facing this young church. He's trying to remind them this. Listen, listen. You have your roots in Christ. You don't have to fall away. You can be healthy, is what he's saying. You're rooted in Christ. But, but then he says you're also uh, built up. And, and, and there uh, he kind of switches and, and gives us kind of a picture of a, a, a building that's under construction that's getting closer to completion. And, and I'm a little bit of a nerd about this. I don't know if any of you are like me. But I, kind of, I think it's kind of fun to watch when you're seeing construction going up and you see something that you're like, oh, I wonder what that's going to be. And then it's, you know, it's, 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 there's kind of this like hope and anticipation and excitement as it's getting built like those of you uh, experienced the feeling of watching the new Chick-fil-A in Chantilly being built, praise Jesus, right? Like there's, a, there's this anticipation and excitement. Last year, uh, it was the, uh, the, the, the Dave and Busters right here at the mall. And we were watching that thing with kind of anticipation, excitement, didn't know what it was at first. And in fact, they're actually building something right next to it right now. I don't even know what it is, but I'm excited about it. I think it, making disciples is like that. 
There's a, there's a level of, of excitement. Discipleship is exciting because every single one of you are under construction. You are being built up right now. And, and God, sometimes it's just awesome to be able to step back and look at, look at how God is working in your life. Look at, look at what he's taking you through. Look at what he's teaching you. Look at how he's changing you. And, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do in this, this finished product as, as God is at work. And the tense of this verb being built up suggests that this is something that's, that's continual. It's ongoing. And so Paul's point here is that, that in Christ, you have a healthy, solid foundation and you are still under construction and you're growing. You're being built up and you're getting closer to completion. And this awesome promise, he says in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to finish the job. That's encouraging, isn't it? I think it's encouraging for those of us who feel like we're a mess. I know the job site can look like it's a mess, and, and you're like, I don't even know what's happening here. It doesn't really look like anything's happening, but you're still under construction, and God's not done. And if he has started a work in you, he is going to bring it to completion. Praise God. So we're rooted, we're built up, and then he said we're uh, established in the faith. Established in the faith. That, that word means to, to be settled securely, it's just, just, just unwavering in the faith. I mean, like the opposite would be unsettled. He's like, I want you to be uh, secure, settled, not, not taken captive, led away by this false teaching. That's what he's got in mind here. I want you to be established in the faith. But, but, but I think there's a, a legitimate question we need to ask here. What, what does Paul mean by the faith? I want you to be established in the faith. Because I don't think that he means established in your faith. Although he wants that. that you need to you know, grow in, in, in your faith and, and your trust in the Lord. But I think when he says that we need to be established in the faith, he's talking about the foundational teachings, the, the basics of Christianity. And I think that's why the very next thing he says is, just as you were taught. He's talking about the things that these believers were taught by Epaphras, who learned them from Paul, who received them from Christ. It's important that we know this. The teachings of the apostles, which that's what we have in the New Testament as we're reading through here. The teachings of the apostles are the teachings of Jesus. Now, here's why I say that. Jesus taught, but he didn't stick around forever. In fact, Jesus knew ahead of time that, that he was not going to stay. He was going to leave, and, and, and he was going to go back to heaven after his resurrection. And, and, and if you're the disciples, you're thinking like, well, that's not an awesome thing because, like, Jesus, I mean, what if, what if we forget something you said? Or, 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 or what if we've got a question and you're not here to answer? But, but Jesus says, listen, it's actually an advantage to you that I go. Because if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And they're still not convinced. So John chapter 16, I've got it for you on the screen. Here's what Jesus says. I'm, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
And so Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. We see him show up in the book of Acts and the the disciples then, the apostles were led into the truth, the teachings of Jesus and they wrote the New Testament under his inspiration. And so when we open up our Bibles, what we're reading in the New Testament is what Jesus wants for us to know and do. It's helping us make sense of the whole story of the Bible, that it's really all about Jesus and the difference that he makes in our lives as he's changing our hearts to be like him. And so when Paul says that I, uh, uh, we're, we're to be uh, established in the faith, what he means is that we're getting down the basic principles of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And those are things that have to be taught. We don't just know them automatically. So when someone becomes a disciple, they, they, they you know, realize that, that we are sinners and we deserve God's judgment, but, but, but they, 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 they know that Jesus took our sin and died in our place, and so they're putting their faith and, and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross uh, for their sins in their place to, to save them. They, they, they become a disciple. Then what? What's, what's next? You're like, I don't, I don't know. What, 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 what are you supposed to tell them? They need to grow in the teachings of Jesus. They need to grow in the teachings of Christ established in the faith. And the basic principles of how to be a disciple are especially laid out for us in the letters of the New Testament from the apostles to uh, the early church. And so I want to just take just a moment and I want to, I want, can I give you an overview of that? Because I know that's like the question is like, well, what are they? What are the basic principles? And I know there's a lot, but if we could try to like, organize them a little bit, we could almost fit them into categories, which I'm not sure is, is completely accurate, but sometimes it can be helpful for us to just try to get uh, the scope of what are we talking about here. If we were to think, like, what are the basic principles, we could organize them uh, kind of in, in, in four sections. One is personal. It's a new you. It's understanding who you are in Christ. That you are a new creation and learning to put off the old and put on the new and, and, and walk in the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God is doing a work inside of you. And as the Spirit is doing a work, what's coming out of you now is the fruit of the Spirit. It's different. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. It's, 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 you're like, man, this, this, is, this is different. This is Christ in you. And as that's happening, that's going to impact the people that are immediately around you. And who are the people immediately around you? It's the people you live with. It's going to impact your home. We see this throughout the New Testament. Then we've got to get our our households in order. That husbands are going to love their wives and wives are going to submit to their husbands and parents are going to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and children are going to obey their parents in the Lord. We're getting our, we're getting our homes in order. And so a redemptive pursuit of the family then impacts the church because we're one big family. That we together are, 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 are building these relationships and, and, and using our gifts to serve one another. It's all the one another's of Scripture and we're properly ordering and structuring the church. And, and this community then becomes marked by love. And when this community is marked by a love that doesn't make sense, that then becomes a witness to the world. 
And so we see it personal, and then your home, and then, uh, and, and, and then the church, and then to the world, the people that are not in the church. And the scriptures are helping us understand as believers, as Christians, we're to respect the authorities that God has put over us. And uh, it, it's, it's really his sovereign control. And, and, and we're working hard and we want to live as bold witnesses. And we're trying to make the best use of the time and we're waiting for Jesus to return. So that, in, in one sense, is kind of a flyover of the basics of the faith laid out for us in the scriptures. What that means for us is that if we're going to purposefully make disciples, we've got to get people in their Bibles. We may have more bodies in the building on a Sunday morning, and so it feels like we're kind of growing because we're getting bigger. But we're not going to really grow if most of our Bibles just sit on a shelf during the week. And so one of the best things you can do to help us make disciples is to come alongside someone and help them develop the discipline and the habit of reading their Bibles together. Do you realize what a privilege, a special thing it is that we have access to God's Word and that you can read it, you can can have it in your own hands and you don't have to wait till Sunday where you're hearing it from me. You can open it up during the week and so one of the things you can do is to come alongside someone, and we've talked about it, like, how about a, a Bible-reading brother or a Bible-reading sister? Hey, let's, let's read Scripture together. And, and maybe we can, you know, meet up for coffee, and, or you know, I'll just call you sometime during the week, and, and we'll talk about what we're reading and, and, and what God's teaching us, what we're learning. Maybe we'll take a, a, a chapter a day, and we'll just pick a book, and we'll start working through it. Maybe we'll go into the, the Bible app, get out the Bible app, and we'll find one of those reading plans, and we can do this together. Let's get into God's Word together. But then we got to make sure that, that people understand what the Bible is teaching, and, and we're so committed to this, okay? This is, this is why we have a process for growing as disciples around here. I hope that you know our process. Here's our process. We want disciples that worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ. We want you to worship, walk, and work. We worship by gathering together on Sundays to, to, to pray and to sing praise to Christ and to open our Bibles so that we're going to hear from Him. That's an awesome opportunity for us to do that together as a family, to come worship. But then we walk with Christ together in community during the week in our small groups. That's why that's so important that we're getting people around God's Word together. We're talking about it. We're trying to understand it. We're, we're trying to apply it. We're, we're holding each other accountable to this. We're trying to encourage one another. We're, we're building these relationships and caring for one another and living out our faith and obedience to His Word in loving community. And that happens best in those small groups. So we worship Christ, we walk with Christ, and then we work for Christ. We start you know, using our gifts to volunteer and start serving and helping our church grow and making more disciples just help us accomplish the mission. Now listen, I, I, like, we, we, we want people who are worshiping, walking, working, and I realize that it's not just automatic, like you're going to grow if you're just coming on Sunday morning, going to a small group and uh, volunteering and serving in one of our ministries, but uh, the reason that we're doing this, we, you'll notice we don't do a lot of programs around here. But that's so that we can focus our attention and our energy on this process where we believe that we can help believers grow as disciples understand what God's Word really says and live that out. You can help us with this. 
You can actually help us make disciples by helping someone else connect with our process. Think about that. Like bring somebody here to worship on a Sunday morning. Or invite people to your small group. And then encourage the, the, the people that are in your group to really stay committed to being here and to opening up God's word and, and, and sharing with one another and applying what we're reading and, and, and we're going to commit to the community that we have here. And then encouraging somebody to help sign up and volunteer with one of our ministry teams, whether it's helping with the kids or helping on the setup team or guest experience or prayer team or whatever it is, we're, we're, we're getting serving, we're get, getting our gifts in action because we want to respond to what God's word says and Follow him in obedience. So, so the end goal, let me be really clear. The end goal is not plugging people into a process. The goal is that we're going to be growing in maturity as disciples of Jesus. And maturity happens when we're growing in the teachings of Jesus. Again, not just in head knowledge, but in heart change that leads to life change where we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's got to do that work in us. So we're living differently in Christ. We're growing in the teachings of Christ. Here's the third expectation. There's an expectation that, we're, that we would be thankful for Christ. Be thankful for Christ. He closes this out by saying that we're to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That means we're just overflowing with the sense of, of gratitude and, and overwhelmed for all the reasons that we have to be thankful. Discipleship is not drudgery. If it is for you, then you're missing the gospel. And the gospel is not just for our justification where we're made right before God. The gospel is also for our sanctification, this process where we're growing and we're becoming more like Christ. See, the reason that we obey, the reason that we want to follow him, that we want to walk in him is because we love him. And the reason we love him is because he first loved us. Disciples don't have to follow a list of rules in order to try to um, get in good with God or um, earn his favor and earn his blessings as if our relationship with him is transactional. Like we, we, we could never earn it. We could never be deserving. But Jesus was. He was the perfect spotless lamb who is sacrificed in our place, and it's by his blood that we are saved. And because we are in Christ, we receive his grace, even though we don't deserve it. And we get the gift of eternal life. And we don't have to earn it, and we could never lose it. And I think the more you understand that and the more you appreciate that, the more you realize, like, the only thing we can say to that is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we would be thankful for Christ. We're abounding in thanksgiving. And when we are, I think the more we grow as a church that, that um, is uh, full of gratitude, that's a sign of true, genuine worship. And worship is a sign of growing maturity. We want to be a church that is truly worshiping Christ. As we've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Father, I pray that you would um, 
Help us to be faithful to this. We, we understand this is the call. This is the job. This is what you've asked us to do. And, and we want to be purposeful in this. And yet we uh, confess again, joyfully confess, that, that we're not the ones who have the power to do this. That we're actually completely dependent on you. So I thank, thank you, Lord, that you actually give us everything that we need for life and godliness. Because we want to be pleasing to you. We want to be growing. And so, Lord, I I thank you that you would even press on me. I know these things are simple. These things are basic. Lord, I want it to be true in my heart that I am becoming increasingly more like Christ and living differently now. And then as uh, we're doing this, as, as we're becoming disciples that follow you and surrender, we recognize and realize that we need to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and multiply. And God, we just believe that you're going to get the glory when that's happening. So help us to continue to stay faithful to this commitment, this pursuit of purposeful disciple making. And we'll give you the praise that you're going to give us the power to do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray.